depression. You see, the doctors, it only came because we had Dissident Theory. Dissident Theory. That's at Dissident Theory. D-I-S-S-I-D-E-N-T-T-H-E-O-R-Y on the Twitters. And perhaps more importantly, on YouTube. Dissident Theory is a small upstart channel that's already put out some amazingly informative and entertaining videos on one of the most intimidating tomes of all time. That would be Capital or Das Kapital, Karl Marx's three-volume, 3,000-some-odd-page critique of the capitalist system. I read the Communist Manifesto as a teenager definitely do for a reread of that, which is a pretty short book that basically outlines the main tenets of socialism. I know it seems like a, it would be really long. The word manifesto is kind of intimidating to people, I think. Um, and as anyone who's ever tried to bone up on leftist theory can attest, Marxist capital is a pretty tough sell. It seems pretty boring in stretches, but that's what's so great about Dissident Theory's YouTube channel. Each, like, eight to 15 minute episode is a summary of a chapter in capital and builds upon the last summary dude is real good at summarizing explaining and highlighting the important points of text so i'm excited to see where his channel goes uh, definitely follow dissident theory on twitter and definitely subscribe to that youtube channel to bone up on your leftist theory in a fun and painless way this week's bridge is one for the history books. A beautiful interview with leftist Texan King, who kind of looks like Jesus, David Griscom, which is appropriate because next holiday we got coming up is the Christmas, Jesus' birthday. Maybe David Griscom's birthday. I don't know. I didn't ask him when his birthday is. But uh, find him online because he is awesome. And I'll get to more specifics of where to find him in a bit. But first, before I forget, Mr. Gris Mr. Griscom, it's kind of a hard name to say. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. Griscom, Griscom, Griscom. I can do it. Uh, Mr. Griscom does not mention in this chat that he has a brand new project getting off the ground called Left Reckoning. Maybe he didn't bring that up because I don't think it had been publicly announced yet, but uh, he's going to be hosting that with the equally awesome Matt Leck, whom you may know from being a producer on The Michael Brooks Show and Majority Report with Sam Cedar. Uh, this interview is great, and uh, I've gotten some great feedback on the last two episodes, which featured my far-reaching chat with the great Chris Crofton. I try to make these episodes evergreen, so if you're new to the show, please go back and check out my interviews with Chris Crofton, Ben Burgess, Christy Yamaguchi Main, the host of Investigate Joe Rogan, which is a fun, small podcast you should check out, and probably more, maybe a couple more that I'm not thinking of right now. I believe right now I'm recording the 14th episode of Breadsheet. Made it past 13, which is a good sign, I think. Probably going to see if Dissonant Theory, the host of that, I don't know what his name is, but uh, I'm going to see if he wants to come on sometime to make y'all's and my brain smarter. Uh, maybe once he kind of hits a, a good pause point, and I'm not going to wait for him to get through all of Capital because that 
could take a long time, but he's been, he just put out a new video today, which I haven't watched yet, on Chapter 4. So it is an upstart new channel. Um, it's pretty small at this point, but you should all go check it out because he's doing some great work. And big thanks to Dissident Theory for saying some kind words about my YouTube channel. That's the Haas Bossman YouTube channel. And you know what? Haas Bossman also happens to be my fake internet name. And I'm the host of this podcast that you're listening to right now. And it's called Bridgesheet. Bridgesheet. Bridge. All you have to do is make a That's correct. That's correct. Breadsheet is this show. I'm Haas Bossman, and I'd like to warmly welcome you to my show, Breadsheet. Uh, and if you like it, don't decide just yet whether you do or not, but wait until you decide that you do, I guess even if that is now, and rate and review it in your podcast app of choice. That helps a lot. The more people listen and download, the more slivers of pennies I get from that anchor ad you heard at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that helps a lot. And, you know, what did I ever do to you to not deserve you uh, doing that? Uh, so, yeah, rate and review. Help out if you can. If you got the the stones for it. And, uh, yeah. So, and that helps the show. You know, it's fun to support a show that you like, assuming you like this show. And I don't have a job or health insurance or anything like that. And it's looking more and more like my family and loved ones are going to be getting a song for Christmas this year. Unless some kind of Christmas miracle happens. Only in America, dreaming red, white, and blue. Only in America, we have a dream as big as we want to. I don't want to get a copyright strike, so I'm not going to sing that stupid song anymore. I actually am considering compiling all the music I've made for this show into a Sounds of Breadsheet Volume 1 thing to sell on Bandcamp and raise funds for Christmas gifts and such, and probably going to be moving soon, so I need to probably have money to do that. Anyway, this is kind of a bummer, right? Don't let that dissuade you from continuing to listen. I'll be all right. I'm fortunate to have enough people in my life who care about me that I probably won't be homeless anytime soon, and I've been... I, I've been through tough times before. I have somehow managed to always land on my feet, and I don't see why this time is likely to be any different. Just got to keep on making all this free content and have a little faith that things will magically work out. Uh, I really, truly love doing this stuff, and my ultimate goal is to make the world a better place and or maybe be helpful and, of course, bring people a little joy. And I got to think that uh, Jesus might help out sometime soon if I remain pure of heart. Might even give me, like, superpowers or something. But yeah, stay tuned for that uh, Bandcamp compilation as one of many ways, free or via a teeny tiny contribution to support Breadsheet. Speaking of the sounds of Breadsheet, I, of course, made an original song for Mr. Griscom to introduce him with today. I started going the country route and sort of wound up with this goofy, somewhat artificial-sounding bluegrass-esque thing, which I then put some clips of him over the, the song, which I got from his latest appearance on Give Them an Argument, a friend of the show Ben Burgess's podcast, which I think I already mentioned. This one is reminiscent of some of the stuff I used to write with my old band, The K-Max, whose albums you can get at thekmax.bandcamp.com. T-H-E-K-M-A-C-K-S dot bandcamp dot com. Uh, so that's coming up in a bit after some Haas news. 
Still haven't made that Haas News theme, but maybe I can go ahead and make a little vocal part, just like maybe improv a little something that I can uh, build on later when I'm editing this. Haas, Haas News, it's Haas News, Haas News, Haas News, it's Haas News, get your news from Haas. It's news by horse, about horse, that you can listen to. It's a horse, horse news. Yeah, I think that one was good. A uh, quick horse news alert. I published my response to Maggie Mae Fish on my YouTube channel. That's a response to her video on my octopus teacher. And I must say, I'm really, really happy with how this uh, video essay turned out. I highly recommend you at least watch the documentary. That's My Octopus Teacher, which is on Netflix, before checking out my video. And also watch Maggie Mae Fish's video on the film. She has a great YouTube channel. Uh, she had a very uncharitable view on the film. I, I love her videos, um, and you know I, I talk about that in the video. I'm not trying to start any kind of turf war or anything. I just had a different take, and you know, basically just wanted to talk about how her perspective is valuable. I think mine is also valuable, and you know, I think that it uh, would be cool if people would try to see it from both of them. And maybe even... Bring your own perspective to your evaluation. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 somewhat about my take on the film, also about the value I see in her analysis. I really really love the film, uh, but most importantly, it is about the value of trying to view the film from each perspective. I go full galaxy brain in this one, so you definitely don't want to miss that. Uh, my catalog of video essays is growing. So check out the other ones I've done over the past few months, and also check out my dumb songs on there. Give me a like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Like I say, what did I do to you to not deserve you doing all the nice YouTube things for me? Uh, and that's the Haas Bossman YouTube channel, which you can find at bit.ly slash HaasTube. I don't have any money, so I can't like buy domains, but uh, I made a shortened link for it, which is fine. That's good enough. bit.ly slash H-O-S-S-T-U-B-E. Also, yeah, bit.ly slash hostube. Also, I tried my first GarageBand tutorial stream on Twitch, uh, which, you know, had some technical difficulties, but I'm, you know, learning how to, there's like special software to use and stuff like that. Um, I, I gave a little rundown of how I make the beats on this show, the ones uh, with the samples that I usually play in the intro after I say the word breadsheet, like right here. Not the actual songs I write and play with the like virtual drums, guitar neck, keyboard, and piano roll, and all that stuff in GarageBand. I will get to making tutorials on those later, but that's not quite so entry-level. Like You have to know some basics about how music works to get started with those types of songs, whereas the beats are pretty easy to just jump into. Uh, thanks to Tim from the Timocracy podcast for being my guinea pig and being the one person who watched that tutorial live. I only have two or three followers on Twitch right now, but I'd really like to start doing weekly streams in which I maybe give some takes and more tutorials and just show how I make some of my weird, dumb art and shit. Uh, also, maybe going to edit that first stream together in a YouTube video. But for now, show me you're interested in more twitching from your boy Haas by following me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Haas underscore Bossman. So Haas underscore Bossman is my username pretty much everywhere. Uh, and it's also my username on Twitch. And uh, here's the song I made. Uh, it's, a, it's a monkey song. So if you want to know how to make awesome songs like this monkey song, follow Haas underscore Bossman on Twitch. 
monkey song. Also, listen to the Timocracy podcast for some great takes on stuff and follow Tim on Twitter at Mr. Slowbones. No spaces or underscores. It's Mr. Slowbones or Mrs. Lowbones. And that is going to do it for Haas News. Just a couple more things to get to before the fantastic interview with God King David Griscom. Stellar content on Breadsheet, like this amazing ad from my new sponsor. That's right, I got a new sponsor, Cameo Live. From the people who brought you Cameo, the popular app for personalized celebrity messages, comes their latest creation, Cameo Live. Now, your favorite celebrities won't just record a message on video, they'll storm into your living room to surprise your loved ones in person. How does it work? Simply type out a personalized message and select from our extensive list of Hollywood A-listers, including Michael Caine, on Michael Caine, Jack Nicholson, I'm Jack Nicholson, and even Gilbert Gottfried. I'm Gilbert Gottfried. The next step involves placing a tiny tracking device on your friend or family member. The celebrity you picked will be monitoring their movement so your loved one can be accessed quickly and efficiently. And where my widows and widowers at? You're going to want to listen to this. Cameo Live will proudly include a feature called Miracle Message. Our team of Hollywood makeup artists will disguise a celebrity of choice as any deceased spouse. And it works, too. One customer ordered this message for a friend who lost his wife in a car accident almost six months prior and still wasn't over it. Let's listen in as football star Maurice Jones-Drew enters the man's home dressed as his deceased wife. You know what else is weird? An ad that I'm not sponsored by, but uh, an ad for a cult auto-played on YouTube while I was watching the other day. The, the content of what the dude was saying was mostly pretty good in my view. Love and togetherness are great, and racism and greed are bad, and our society perpetuates those bad things and not those good things. But he says all this while wearing what appears to be an out-of-the-box cult leader Halloween costume pretty funny and surreal stuff go check it out uh, just don't get sucked in on account of me just wind up selling all your shit and moving out west to live with this weirdo uh, there are a couple of clips of it on my twitter actually so check that out at Haas underscore bossman that's also me on instagram and patreon or patreon.com slash Haas underscore bossman i have a few ideas for patreon exclusive stuff like Sort of a protracted goodie for maybe a certain tier. Uh, the idea is we do like a little mini interview on the show. I play that interview on the show, and then I use some clips to make a little beat song thingy featuring some clips of you saying stuff, and then play that on the show. Maybe include some, I don't know, like some funny Alex Jones clips or something if you want. Uh, we can we can work it out. Also, going to make the full uncut interviews complete with my awkward pauses and ums and you knows and losing my train of thought available for all Patreon subscribers when I get a chance. A big thanks, by the way, to Sanzi, at Sanzi on Twitter, and Cedric, my crew of two, as I like to call them, Patreon peeps. Uh, that's, again, Sansi is at Sansi, S-A-N-S-I-E on Twitter. And I'm not sure about Cedric's other 
information superhighway presences. Maybe uh, they just want to stay mysterious. Let me know, Cedric. And and seriously, it means so much to me to have any support from anyone. And it would obviously be amazing if I could make something close to a full-time income off of all this stuff that I'm doing, which I'm very far from at the moment. But I think it's a cool proof of concept that people are willing to pay for art with no guarantee of getting anything in return. Just showing support for stuff you like and hope to see more of. I think it's beautiful. And I am truly grateful and just eternally appreciative for that support. And if y'all want to join them in supporting what I'm doing here, trying to do some good work and, you know, trying to be helpful as I sort of do something I actually enjoy doing for once in my life uh, for a living or, you know, trying to get into doing that. I have an idea for a video, uh, just a percolating about what a society without money might look like. Pretty hard to imagine, right? But that's why I'm looking into it, and also why I'm trying to inspire or encourage folks to cultivate their imaginations to try and envision a better society. The people and entities who benefit from our abusive system don't want you to think critically, creatively, and imaginatively because that's not in their interest, but I truly believe it's essential for the continued survival of our species. Um, something like a world without money may be ultimately unachievable, just like full, fully automated luxury communism or whatever, but we should at least be working toward a future that's closer to that type of world than what we currently have. I mean, don't let the uh, perfect be the enemy of the good or the better, as they say. And I guess that's as good a segue as any into today's wonderful interview with the almighty David Griscom of TMBS or The Michael Brooks Show. Rest in power, Michael Brooks. Uh, you know, when Michael, I had just started doing this show uh, when um, he passed away. I think I did a little RIP to him on like the second or third episode. And, um, you know, it was... It's kind of, obviously, it's a huge bummer, and uh, his presence is sorely missed on Majority Report and, of course, his own show, The Michael Brooks Show, which has kept going. Uh, David Griscom, which they, we talk about it a little bit in the beginning of the interview, but David Griscom and Matt Leck and Michael Brooks's sister still do The Michael Brooks Show, but I think they're kind of like winding it down or something. And uh, they, when they announced, when Matt Leck and David Griscom announced their upcoming show, Left Reckoning, which already has a Patreon, and I think they've already started doing some Twitch streams, and they're about to start putting out like full podcast episodes. Uh, they, she also, Michael Brooks's sister, Leisha Brooks, she announced that she is going to be doing a series or something to like in in memory of Michael Brooks and you know something maybe like gathering up some of his uh, a best of type thing and and you know having people on in in remembrance of him and his awesomeness uh, so yeah, we talk a bit about him in this chat. The Michael Brooks Legacy Project is Michael Brooks' sister's thing. She's getting going, and she's also going to be doing a show called The Brief and Wondrous Life of Michael Brooks. Just wanted to drop that in since I couldn't remember what it was called when I was recording. God Kings of the Left Slavaj Zizak and Dr. Cornel West had an awesome conversational remembrance of Michael Brooks recently, which is recent in the Michael Brooks Show podcast feed and on the Michael Brooks Show YouTube channel. So check that out. And, as I said, David Griswam and Matt Lex's new show, sort of a spin-off from The Michael Brooks Show, is gonna be called Left Reckoning, and toward the end of this interview, Mr. Griswam says he has a big announcement coming up, which he already made, and it's, this new show, Left Reckoning. Mwah, back to us from the past. Anyhow, um, 
So, uh, yeah, David Griscom, he is a producer on The Michael Brooks Show and also author and presenter of some great Jacobin videos on the YouTubes, these quick takes, and a segment on Friend of the Show, Ben Burgess's wonderful podcast, Give Them an Argument. Ben Burgess, I'm going to be having him on again soon, too. Uh, That segment is called Outlaws and Revolutionaries, on which Griscom highlights different badass country artists and discusses the radical politics, either implicitly or explicitly expressed in the songs of said artists and I love all the work that David does but it was that segment that really made me think he'd be a perfect fit for the sort of art and politics art and politics intersection theme I'm trying to get at here Homebridge recently Mr. Griscom is on Twitter at David Griscom no spaces or nothing spelled David is kind of an interesting last name uh, David D-A-V-I-D that's a normal spelling of David, uh, G-R-I-S-C-O-M. So that's at David Griscom on Twitter. Uh, check him out to see all his other stuff that he's doing, including Left Reckoning, that new show with him and Matt Leck. I'd like to have Matt Leck on here sometime soon. That would be awesome. He's really funny and smart-brained and all that good stuff. So David and I, we talk music in this episode, but we also cover a lot of other ground, You know, touching several times on how we can frame our leftist ideas in like straightforward, honest ways to appeal to people who might see themselves as being culturally on the right, you know, working folks. Uh, this is a one-part interview, and next week's episode is going to be part one of a two-part interview with the fantabulous Rachel Quirky Shank of Screen Snark and Infinity Podcast, and uh, now being a brand new Twitch affiliate, which is great and exciting. Congratulations to her. I'm, I am Rachel Quirky. That's her name on Twitter. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Haas underscore Bossman. Support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Haas underscore Bossman. Visit my YouTube channel at bit.ly slash Haas tube. Leave me a message to be played on the show. Ask me a question, you know, send me some love, whatever you want to do. As long as it's not racist, I will probably play it on the show. And that is a fact uh, that I will probably do it. Uh, you can do bit.ly slash call Haas. Uh, you know, that uh, you can leave a message there. And um, you'll be famous on this show. And uh, also, yeah, rate and review the show. Be good to your brothers and sisters. And without any further ado, here's David Griscom's original breadsheet theme song. Then, please give a big, fat, stanky breadsheet welcome to Mr. David Griscom. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Good to see you. Right on. Good to see you too. We're we're already recording. I have it set to auto record because you know I've made the dumb mistake before of forgetting to record and remembering like twenty seconds into the interview. So been there. I know that that worry. <laughs> um. So uh, yeah. How how's how's your day going so far? You are on the East Coast, right? Yeah, I'm up in uh, Brooklyn, but uh, 
haven't announced this yet, but I'm I'm prepping for a big move back to Texas. So it's a little crazy, but it's good. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Where about in Texas are you from? Uh, I'm from I'm from Austin. Okay, cool. That's yeah. I, I say that like I would really know much. Basically, all I know about Texas is that Austin is the sort of a little bit more progressive oasis. Yeah, the hippie town. Yeah, and that uh, I think Alex Jones is is stationed there, and a bunch of people from LA are moving out there these days. <laughs> yeah, to its uh, to its detriment, unfortunately. Oh yeah, why is that? Oh, it's just like people move there from California, they want to turn it into LA or San Francisco, and it's just like. You know, I like I like Southern culture and that makes me sad to see like everywhere is like just I feel like almost every city in this country is just like fighting for its soul. <laughs> yeah. Things are getting more uh, homogenized. Yeah, exactly. These days. Um, well, uh, I'll probably I'll go in and record an intro to this um, later, but I guess we kind of already started on uh, Mr. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Mr. David Griscom. Uh, this uh, I don't know if you've seen anything about this podcast basically like every other episode i do sort of feature-esque kind of talks with people to sort of just like get some stuff on their background and you know just try to talk with them about some stuff that uh i think you know they could illuminate some topics um and uh so if you would uh introduce yourself you've already said you're from you're from austin and anybody who's been listening to you and is familiar with you knows that you are a texas man Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Texas folks are very proud. And, uh, like I said, I've never been out there, but I, you know, I've pretty much loved everybody I've ever known from there. And yeah, it is even being from the South. I know, you know, people who go out there, they're like, it is a completely, it's like a different stepping into a different country. Mm. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely different. I also like, you know, just for transparency sake and, you know, tell, tell a little bit about myself too. I also like, I went to high school in South Carolina, North Myrtle beach. Um, so I've got a little bit of that, you know, new south old south kind of experience as well like the the coastal south is so much different even from like you know places like alabama or mississippi so it's been nice in my life to be able to to spread around that that part of the country because i really love i love it all for different reasons yeah you get you get a different vibe i mean people from different i know like where where i'm at but uh right now i'm like in the suburbs of atlanta but i grew up a couple hours north in the like very southern tip of like Appalachia, mm. uh, northeast Georgia, and um, you know a lot of uh, Scottish and Irish immigrants in that area, which seems to kind of flavor a lot of the attitudes. Um, and the part of Austin where you're from, like what like region of of Europe are people mostly from? Yeah, I mean, well, Texas is you know definitely. I mean, Texas is like. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different cultures there, which is fun. There's a lot of like Czech and Germans, uh, which is a little bit different than the rest of the South. But then obviously all the Scotch-Irish uh, folks ended up moving out there as well. So it's a merge of that culture. Then obviously, you know, the Mexican Tejano uh, mm -hmm. culture as well, which, you know, makes for an interesting place. And, you know, tech, I like one thing that's fun about Texas and one of the reasons that I talk about it uh, much more than other places I've lived is it's just like, there's a big part of it that is just attitude, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, somebody like, you know, Jerry Jeff Walker, uh, who's a country artist that I like a lot, you know, he's from like upstate New York. Um, but he, if you were to see him or listen to him or, you know, pay any attention to his music, you would think that he's the quintessential Texan, which is just like, you know, he came there and embraced it and became it, uh, which is a, you know, fun thing. There's not many other places, uh, you know, that, uh, that you can just really be accepted if you're willing to, you know, to dive right into it. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, your background, you're from Texas um, on and for those of uh, people in my audience who maybe aren't, I can't imagine a lot of people who listen to this show don't also like watch Majority Report and TMBS, which, you know, mm-hmm. you've always been a big part of since I've been watching it anyway. Um, what is kind of your specialty on that show these days? Yeah, I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, ever since, you know, the really tragic and unfortunate, unforeseen uh, tragedy of, of losing my friend Michael, um, mm-hmm. me and Matt Leck have sort of stepped up along with uh, Michael's sister, Leisha uh, Brooks, um, to, you know, sort of host the show. Um, I mean, primarily, you know, what I do is, you know, political commentary in general, but with international focus, along with, uh, for a really long time, um, I was doing a lot of economic commentary. Just because I feel like a lot of people on the left sort of run away from it. Mm -hmm. They don't because they don't, even though we're obviously very worried about uh, the system that we're living under, a lot of people don't really want to comb through, you know, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal to pay attention to that kind of stuff. But it's important uh, to understand what our enemies are doing and what they think the future is and what their plans are. Um, so I was doing a lot of, you know, uh, what which we called the gem segment, which was the Griscom Economic Minute, where I would just sort of comb through, you know, the issues uh, of the day and sort of give people a digestible understanding of it um, and give people context so that they could see things, for example, like what's going on in the stock market and like how does that affect their lives, um, you know, and what the kind of general stories uh, out there mean for working people instead of what most uh, kind of financial media, the fixation obviously is on people with stock portfolios. I was trying to talk to people about, you know, if you're working in this industry, this is how, you know, kind of issues with funding or issues with um, speculation might be affecting, you know, your day-to-day working life, Uh, you know, just trying to bring that perspective uh, to financial media, which again, is just sorely missing. Yeah, for sure. People on the left uh, tend to be of a uh, more, I guess, like humanities oriented. And when it starts to get into things that involve math, I think a lot of people on the left are kind of repelled by that. I mean, um, same too. I studied philosophy. So it's not like, you know, it's not my home per se, but it was just something that it's not as complex. They want you to think it's a lot more complicated than it is. Um, mm-hmm. And once I sort of realized that, you know, uh, I could do it too, being one of philosophy major in college and just kind of like poor white trash kid from the South uh, that, you know, anybody could get it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, I had to take, I, I did a music business certificate in college and had to take a couple of business classes and was a little bit surprised by like, Oh, this is, I always was really intimidated by this, yeah. but it's not quite as uh, um, you know, when uh, that was, like horrible out of nowhere when uh, Michael, I call him by his first name, but you know, it's not, I didn't know him. Uh, no, definitely can. But you know, the, uh, this the podcasting and stuff and YouTube and all that, like it's, you, you become familiar with the, the people you watch mm-hmm. uh, in an interesting way. But um, you know, when he first uh, passed away and I found out that y'all were doing, continuing to do the show, I thought that seemed like a really great thing, but, you know, it took me a couple of weeks to really get into the groove of watching it again. And um, as I'm sure you understand, mm-hmm. but I, I think you always did great on the show, but like, obviously that left a hole, you know, my condolences. I know it's been a, a few months now, but um, the, uh, that, you know, left a hole that is never going to be fully filled. But like I, I, the way that you guys have been, you know, picking up kind of where he left off I uh again not having known him have to think he would have you know approved and and been proud of the job that y'all are doing on there so yeah well thank you for that I mean you know it's one of those things somebody who's can't be replaced 
Um, but we, we also just had this feeling afterwards is that one thing that has been really incredible over these past few years working on TMBS has been the community of people that we have around us. Um, and we just really didn't want to all sort of like ride off into the sunset and, uh, you know, not be able to, you know, be talking to people anymore, communicating with all the people who have, you know, yeah, as you were saying, you know, the show has been a big part of, you know, my life, certainly, and a lot of other people's too. And we want to make sure that we didn't also lose that, that community too, because I think it's really important. And I've been really proud to, you know, build that over the past few years. And something that uh, Michael always brought to the show and I mean what he brought to majority report and everything that he did was like this this sense of like internationalism and that it can be so hard there's so many things here at home to to worry about that it can be hard to uh to delve into that stuff I always learned so much from him just mm -hmm. like listening to him talk about a lot of times he would lose me and I'd have to you know give me some extra research to do yeah. but um uh yeah and I mean seems like you've you guys have done a great job of like you know continuing on that in his legacy of bringing like a, a an intellectual rigor to a commentary that you don't see in in every every place and i'd say like a lot of places um this uh, so your goals as a, a commentator and an analyst and an activist um what what would you say those are broadly speaking and maybe as they relate to um you know carrying on that legacy yeah for sure i mean you know this stuff that we talk about, you know, which is, you know, the plight of working people in the US and the globe is just like, it's not something that's foreign to me. It's, uh, you know, I really don't feel like I have a choice than to, you know, participate in it and not to be full of myself or anything like that. But it's just, you know, I came, I came about on the left. Um, I mean, I was sort of left leaning, I think, for a little while, though I did have an embarrassing libertarian streak in high school, like I think a lot of people sure, uh, may have, <laughs> um, you know, and I, but I sort of broke with that and I broke with it pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, I was always one of those things growing up, realizing that I was living a very different life than some of my, my classmates. Uh, you know, there were certain people in my high school who were living in the same kind of communities as I was. And there were certain people who were living, you know, in very wealthy communities and just that kind of like understanding of, of class uh, was something that was really eye-opening for me. Um, but then I went off to school in Washington, D.C., and that was right when Occupy started. Um, so I sort of got, you know, a pretty quick uh, political education and kind of radical education through that. And, you know, I've just been, since then, I've been really uh, trying to involve myself as much as I can um, in, in the struggle and like Occupy was an incredible moment because it really activated a lot of people, but there was a lot missing from it as, you know, we're sitting here now, you know, almost a decade later realizing that, okay, that was an incredible moment, but we had like the people in the streets and then we didn't know what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so what encourages me right now is in what I'm doing is trying to continue to build those those platforms one to bring people together because I think that's one of the most important things that we can be doing and like yes definitely in that kind of kumbaya way but I, I really look back at the only times you know we've ever been able to enact like political change in this country and it's literally just been when people uh, from similar circumstances start getting together and talking and that's how you started to come up with strategies to you know to build the kind of politics that that you know we want um you know, so for me, that's like the primary goal is to provide people with, you know, education and information, and then also to build as much of a community as possible, um, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's going to be a hell of a lot easier um, if we're able to, you know, be in constant communication and learning from each other. You know, one thing that I've been doing 
lately on the show has been trying to highlight what's going on in Austin, Texas, uh, because it's been pretty incredible. You've seen this, you know, significant progressive democratic socialist movement there that has had like real concrete victories, including, you know, defunding the police. And again, it's not perfect, but it's, uh, you know, that's a significant victory. And that's the thing everybody's talking about right now. And how most people don't even know still that Austin was able to do that. And, uh, you know, that's one of the goals of my show, for example, is like for me to be able to bring on the activists and the leaders and the people who were able to make that happen there. Uh, one, so people are, you know, aware, obviously, and two, so that, you know, wherever you are in the country, you can sort of see like, okay, this is what worked here. This is, you know, uh, what maybe we could bring over. This is what we might not be able to bring over because of our certain circumstances. But, you know, like being able to have that kind of platform where we can all sort of sit down, talk and learn from each other. Uh, that's like my primary goal. And also to get people to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> Yeah. And, and to and to stop like the kind of left wing like infighting, not that like, look, I'm the first person to get worked up about a political debate. But I think a lot of the stuff that people get worked up about is kind of nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. And to try to push push through that because, we, you know, we can't be insular. We can't be a kind of closed off movement. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, especially that latter one, definitely kind of share that goal. And I think uh, something that, you know, uh, friend friend of this show and of of your show and you are a friend of his show ben burgess uh has um you know something that uh he's been talking about lately that i've, I've also heard you guys echo on tmbs something that michael used to talk about was like basically you know we we need to be educational but also to like to show people that the left is an appealing place to be. <laughs> I think just being entertaining is, is a part of that. And, you know, that's, I try to be somewhat educational with this, but, you know, I kind of consider it somewhat besides the, you know, the interviews and stuff, like when I'm doing solo stuff, sort of as a, like an art project type thing to, you know, sort of uh, be, be appealing in a, a, a different way, if, if at all possible. Um, and uh, so, you uh, you mentioned uh, that in Austin things are changing, or that you know there's more democratic socialism there. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess more awareness on on the left. Um, how did you? And I guess like you know where you grew up, how it in influenced your politics growing up, and then like uh, how how have you kind of seen that that region change in in uh, meaningful ways? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, first and foremost, you know. <laughs> I come from a, I mean, I come from both a kind of typical, like American background, the sense that like my family, like they don't know where, where we came from, really, you know, they've just been in the United States forever. And I grew up with that kind of mentality of, you know, celebrate, you know, grew up working class, so, you know, celebrating working people and, you know, basically people's tenacity and ability to, you know, fend for themselves, which I think is a an important value that I think a lot of people on the left sort of sprint away from in a way that I don't think is particularly helpful. Um, but, you know, for me, uh, there is always that kind of weird second level part of the argument where people, you know, are refusing, uh, you know, any kind of politics that was helping, you know, the community out in large, right, kind of expectation that you take care of things yourself. Um, and I think that that is starting to to shift, especially with younger people. But, you know, in Austin, the story is, uh, you know, Austin is is a city that has always had like a kind of aura of having like super left wing progressive values, you know, and it has relative to the rest of the country, even even more states that you California, New York places you think is more liberal. But as you know, we know like liberals' uh, aspirations, or at least the way they talk, versus what they actually enact, are very different things. Um, so what we've seen in Austin is just um, 
something I is just it's very encouraging to me. So like Greg Kassar, who is a um, on the city council in Austin as somebody who, you know, came out of the workers defense fund, uh, which is a kind of, you know, proto proto union organization that organizes undocumented um, and immigrant labor in Austin. And, uh, you know, he came out of that and, you know, they were constantly showing up to city hall to, you know, change things, um, you know, stand up for you know, new regulations or whatever new building projects that were going to disrupt communities. And there's just this understanding. It's like, okay, well, let's see if we can get inside of this because we'll probably be able to do a lot more um, for our people by doing that. And, you know, he was able to do that and win. And it's been a really encouraging um, coalition between these kind of like organic community organizations, you know, community defense organizations, organizations that are fixate, you know, focus on the racial justice against gentrification. And then obviously, you know, against deportation and the harassment. Um, of, of people in, you know, in the country, in the state of Texas, you've seen those groups start to uh, create this really fruitful coalition with like groups like the Democratic Socialists of, of America um, in Austin. And that has really um, opened up a lot of doors because you don't have, like one thing that's so difficult about doing politics is like you can get people sometimes worked up about an issue and that's how you get things done. Uh, but once that issue is either settled or, you know, the enthusiasm starts to fizzle out, then everyone just, you know, goes back into their respective corners of, of society. And what they've been able to do there and why I think it's a really exciting moment um, in Austin and also I think all around the country too. I mean, we're in a dark place, don't get me wrong, but unlike other periods of time, uh, we actually have, we're starting to have structures that can lead us out of it. And what's going on in Austin right now is they're building those kind of coalitions that can last and that can also bridge over from issue to issue. So they can go from fighting and defending, you know, houseless people there uh, to fighting for defunding the police. Um, you know, they just passed like a, you know, a massive transit uh, bill in the city, which is great because they don't have, you know, proper public transportation there. You know, they've been able to do that by basically getting all these different community organizations and having some form of, a, you know, a forum where everybody can get together and talk. Um, so that's definitely, you know, I'm still pretty young, so I can't talk too much about what it was like in like the 90s or anything like that. But it's definitely a very different, um, you know, vibe. And you can just see it and how viable uh, the, these movements have, have been. Um, in Austin. But, you know, again, I think it's all across the country where we're starting to see this and it's just trying to continue to build off of those successes. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. No, I think that, uh, uh, you know, here in Atlanta, we're seeing more of the, unfortunately, you know, like the, the religious community that's, you know, a lot of made up of a lot of black folks and obviously has a very like strong, proud tradition of progressive activism, you know, here in, in Atlanta, that preacher at MLK's church is you know running for senate right now and obviously mm -hmm. georgia's kind of under the the spotlight with that that and the other the john ossoff race mm -hmm. um <laughs> but you know I, I i we obviously want both of them to win but it's kind of hard to uh give any attention to john ossoff yeah. when you have this other you know decently progressive guy with a actual like track record of like real activism on the ground um running but any anyhow uh yeah that's uh these you know, starting to kind of see what have been separate movements of like, you know, the people just fighting for like the bare minimum, uh, any kind of like on the city level, progressive reform, starting to like, you know, kind of come together with uh, all the, you know, people from different demographics coming out for the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, hopefully we can, um, you know, keep keep the focus on the the, the plight of 
of black folks in that movement while still, you know, building on that consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like you're having some, or they're, you know, having some success out in in Austin with that, which is awesome. Yeah. And again, I don't want anyone, especially anyone from Austin, like I'm not saying that it's perfect or anything like that. It's just encouraging. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Okay. So uh, the, I guess we'll kind of start going into the music talk now. Um, Your, your segment on, uh, give them an argument, which, uh, like I said, I've had Ben Burgess on the show a little while back, and I think I'm going to have him on soon to talk about like one specific thing. And uh, he, and so, you know, if anybody's joined this show since that, those episodes uh, a while back, um, on give them an argument. I think they, the live stream is every like Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And um, uh, David here does a uh, a segment on that show. Would you mind giving the skinny on on what that shows or that segment is about? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, the segment is called Outlaws and Revolutionaries, uh, which is a fun title. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, Ben and I have been buddies for a few years now. You know, we met through TMBS, as you would imagine, but he'd come up and we'd hang out. And Ben and I both have, uh, you know, proclivity to, to drink um, and, mm-hmm. you know, stay out. You know, so we code to like we had like, for example, our, our live shows up here in Brooklyn, um, you know, where we'd have people in a studio audience, which were always a blast. Um, but, you know, afterwards, I would go out to get drinks and Ben and I would be the last people at the bar. And oftentimes he'd just come over to my place and I would be in a different state of mind, uh, which always means for me that I'm putting country music on and nobody can say anything against it. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and Ben didn't mind it at all. And, uh, you know, we just we, we just, uh, you know, had a lot of fun doing that. And, uh, uh, yeah, from that, we... Um, you know, basically when he started the show, he asked me if I wanted to do anything with that, especially because we get together, I'd play music and I'd also like tell him, like, this is why, you know, Johnny Cash is the most radical person or like, mm. this is why Willie Nelson is like way more of a, a 60s, 70s radical than Bob Dylan, make all these kind of big problematic arguments <laughs> and like defend them. And then, uh, yeah, you know, basically uh, that, that segment uh, is sort of born out of, you know, Ben and I hanging out uh, till the wee hours of the morning. Um, but yeah, but in that, um, I sort of go through, uh, I go through sort of basically like my favorite um, artists. And we've, the first bit was very much dedicated to um, one, like highlighting Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and all these people who I love, but two also, you know, making the argument, which I think is an important one to make, um, not just for country music, but a lot of culture and obviously uh, deeply Southern culture is just reclaiming that from these just know nothing conservatives um, who like act like they are the inheritors of a genre of music and a culture that is just not theirs to own. Um, you know, Outlaws and Revolutionaries, one of the biggest themes in that is how all of these guys uh, were only able to be successful once they took on the, you know, the record companies and started making music their own way. Um, and, you know, that led to, you know, some really interesting, one, I think just incredible music, but two, um, music that was a little bit more in tune with what most people were experiencing on a kind of day-to-day basis which is why it still speaks to me today yeah no and it's it's a fantastic segment and i i grew up you know listening to country uh my dad is you know from the south and uh that he had a uh a 78 thunderbird with an eight track player oh yeah uh and just a huge like three carousels in the back seat of uh eight tracks that were mostly country i also got introduced to like steve martin's stand-up comedy that way <laughs> um so that's like most of my my older uh mm-hmm. country knowledge is basically just those those eight tracks and i always learn something new sometimes about like some newer artists but you know some of the more obscure uh dudes who 
have that, you know, maybe without being explicitly political. I think often that is a theme that you find with mm-hmm. uh, those guys is that they're not maybe not really thinking about politics, but uh, definitely like speaking to an experience that is is very um, uh, one that people on the left tend to care about a lot, I guess. And I, I think, so. no, exactly. And I mean, for me, like the reason I get so worked up about it is like, you hear it and you listen to it. It's like, yeah, I guess it's not explicitly political. I will also just go out on, on the line here and say that, like, I think a lot of explicitly political music is just bad. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like not like make your songs political. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against that at all. But like, you know, people who go out with like their one goal is to just like basically shout out slogans that we all agree with. I don't find that to be that artistically interesting. Um, but that's a side note. Like, um, you know, what you see a lot with, um, uh, you know, with like with with these guys is that they're expressing like the actual experience of like working people um, in this country, which has a really radical bent to it. Like it doesn't have to be mediated through like political program or political party. I mean, hell, like something like Merle Haggard, who is oftentimes, in my opinion, wrongly uh, painted as like a conservative. You know, most of his music is about organizing prisoners, you know, against the state. You know what I mean? Like these guys, like not only did they, is their music radical, but they live those kind of radical lives that I think a lot of people um, in this country agree with and have been, you know, touched by and consider themselves to think about the world in that way. And for me, um, a lot of country music, especially though, you know, that stuff and that, you know, that kind of golden generation outlaw country, um, it should be something that we see as like, it just immensely um, encouraging for our kind of politics that, you know, we actually don't have to build the consciousness as much um, as, as people think, like most people understand they're being screwed over by their boss. Most people hate their boss. Most people don't like uh, the way that they're being exploited. You know, we just like, our job is to one, you know, organize and do the kind of political education that's necessary, but like, you know, and, and to do that, we're going to have to tap into that energy. And I just think like we have this incredible well of, uh, you know, of, of proof of just how radical most Americans are actually. Um, and you see that, you know, with Johnny Cash, especially, um, with Willie and, and Whalen and all those guys, um, yeah, I mean, it's just something that I think is going to be important for us going forward is, you know, not making the left being on the left as like a, a cult, because right now being on the left is almost like a cultural statement as much as it is a political statement. And I think that that's not a good thing. Um, like, I think that what I'd like to see more is like, I want, you know, like, hell, I mean, sorry, not to ramble, but like, you know, I've been I've been up north for a little while now. And it's like, I like the barbecue. I like to watch college football and like country music. And I'll tell you, most people I hang out with do not like any of those things. <laughs> um, and, you know, my my hope is not to be an evangelist to like convince people that like, you need to like enjoy these kind of activities that I do. But more, it's like what we want to see or like what I'd like to see is I want to see like left-wing college football fans and left-wing country music fans because that shows that we're winning. Um, and I just want to like not allow the kind of right to be able to capture those, uh, you know, those things as like, you know, symbols of kind of right-wing conservative politics. Cause I just don't think they belong to them at all. Yeah. The um, it's, my dad's a pretty conservative guy as you imagine. And uh, he, um, I'll, uh, uh, you know, try kind of, you know, gently to bring up that consciousness about when we're like talking about music or, you know, listening to some country together, older stuff, like how, um, I mean, I mean, I guess like it's like they're able to get that that class consciousness in a way that a lot of people on the left or at least a lot of like liberals don't have, mm-hmm. it seems to me. And um, 
something like one of the biggest successes of the right in, in this country, at least, has been kind of making a, a cultural relationship between like somehow. And I mean, it never you know, I've read Dark Money and I've like thought about this so much, like how it's just they were able to make this uh, like the sleight of hand where they where they connect conservative cultural values with corporations being able to pollute rivers. Like yeah. it, it's so crazy to me. And I mean, and it's just like the, the history of the South. I mean, like one thing I I've been trying to push people to is to remember when we look at American history, we all know uh, what American history is. It's a, you know, it's a story of real horror and, and wickedness and, and evil, but for every victory um, that, you know, the forces of like capital have won for every victory that the right wing have won, there have been people fighting back. And I think one thing that we also really need to do is to be able to reclaim that fight. Like, you know, like Texas, for example, was like a hotbed of like socialism, not just in the United States, but globally for a while. You know, Karl Marx was trying to move to Texas. Um, yeah, you know, and it, it's just like, we have this history and people, it, it gets completely, um, I mean, obviously the right wing obscures it, but the left, I think also obscures it because they, they don't want to look at, at history with nuance, not in the sense of like, oh, let's ignore the horrors of it. But, you know, a lot of people, they just want to tell the story of like, okay, here's like the big general oppression and, and wickedness of American history that's happening and completely gloss over that every single one of these like right-wing victories was meant with fierce resistance from communities. And we should be looking back at our, you know, ancestors in that way and trying to uphold those legacies um, too. And, uh, you know, again, like country music is, is a great example of that. But, you know, you know, Southern Southern history is filled with, you know, incredible stories of people standing up against, um, you know, obviously slavery and then, you know, later, uh, you know, capitalism in general and, and Jim Crow. Like that, that's like as much of the history of the South and its Texas as anything else, in my opinion, is the history of resistance and kind of left wing politics and what they've been able and, and hell. Uh, on top of that, too, um, you know, these states weren't even Republican up until you know, a couple decades ago. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, a big part of that, I will say, though, is the fact that the Democrats really are happy to position themselves as like the party of like the, the doctors and the lawyers and the you know upper middle class um, that you sort of have lost touch uh, with those kind of more like you know, Southern progressive values, because I think a lot of people from that part of the country feel like to be a progressive actually means like rejecting you know, where they live and the people, you know, mm. you know, their culture and their history and all that kind of stuff, which I, again, don't think is helpful. Anyways, I'm not trying to make grand sweeping statements or anything. I guess I am. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I just think that there's just a lot to to dive into. And I just think that it's it's something that, that has been sorely missing, especially right now, um, when we actually have this incredible moment where we have like a new left, like something that is actually very different. And we're able to write that and to be able to say like, okay, these are the people that we're drawing on. These are the histories that we're drawing on. It's like, hell, you know, I think it'd be, it will be very helpful, especially um, in doing the kind of politics that I'd like to see in Texas and in the South in general, um, if we're actually able to start pointing to some of those great examples. Sure. Yeah. And um, I think that like uh, the the history of and, and just the attitude of like, you know, being proud of just being a working person yeah. um, along with the Christian, you know, a lot of the, mm -hmm. the religious sort of um, impulses of the South, you know, obviously those have been taken over by the right in a lot of ways in the mainstream. But, um, you know, that's one thing that I'm kind of I've been trying to do more like I was talking about with my dad also trying to like appeal to those more like, you know, senses of uh, charity and uh, equality that I think that 
we've um you know a, a lot of at least in the mainstream uh, it seems like the more religious folks have lost sight of that stuff as well and that's another thing that i think we should be trying to reclaim whether we're you know actively religious or not like i'd say i'm you know an atheist but i still you know i grew up with those values and i think that it's it's hard for me to like really to divorce those from what you know the progressive values that i developed as well oh exactly man i mean look it's just like I think so too. And it's just like, there's just has been a, a very successful campaign basically to, to make uh, parts of, of us culture, the better parts of us culture and us history and to either completely obscure it or to just claim it uh, for science that never represented them. You know I mean? How it's like, look, the South, like political history was just like all these like populists, um, you know, for like pretty much the vast majority of its history. I mean, that's the only time you've ever had a viable like third party movement in this country was when you had like the American populace who were poor farmers, white and black across the South and Texas. And we started getting together, realizing they were being screwed over by the financial class. Um, and then they rose up and they, they f- fundamentally changed U.S. politics. And, uh, you know, that ended up turning the populist party, ended up turning into the socialist party. And then there's no doubt about it that we wouldn't have had the successes of like the uh, of the New Deal um, without all those people laying that groundwork. Um, you know, it's just like it's it's just like you don't even have to go obscure to find those those histories and narratives is what I'm trying to say. I'm like, hell, man. Like LBJ, who's not somebody who I'm I'm trying to defend, and I think some people have gotten a little too comfortable with that because he's an absolute monster, and the the war in Vietnam was a horrendous, you know, imperialist uh, war. But you know, you look at what was going on domestically in the United States, um, you know, the Great Society, all of these programs, you know, fighting for things like Medicare, um, Medicaid, you know, providing for people, you know, just based on their need, right? Um, you know, those values, um, you know, those came out of, you know, one in American politics, but two, like, you know, very much like it's kind of Southern politics and Southern understanding. It's just like the templates there, you know? Mm-hmm. As much as we can make, uh, you know, being on the left and progressive values about empowering the individual as well as like, you know, helping your neighbor and, and that yeah. that sort of thing, I think is is super important. And, um, you know, you said you went through a libertarian phase as <laughs> so many people do. I, I wouldn't say I ever really went through, I, definitely when I first kind of learned about it, I was like, hmm, that's just kind of, I, I, I get where they're coming from, you know, and something I've been saying lately is like, I, I think in the United States anyway, like the biggest block of people who I think share values that obviously they interpret in different ways are just like the very basic, feels like a very American value to me that, hey, you do whatever you want, I'll do whatever I mm-hmm. want, as long as you're not hurting anybody, if we can frame things in that way, which I think we we don't really realize how many people would would kind of come over and at least listen if we could sort of frame things with with that as the main value. No, I mean, I agree completely. And, you know, just to be above waters, like, you know, for me, I mean, libertarian might even be a funny way to describe it. I mean, like for me, it was just like, you know, I, I, I realized that the Democrats were full of shit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, pretty early on. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a, in a liberal family. So I guess it's a kind of embarrassing way that I was rebelling. But, you know, I, I realized that the Democratic Party was just like not did not have our interests at heart. And, you know, I, I was stupid enough to think that the Republicans just because they play, uh, you know, working class guy on TV, uh, were looking out for us. But, you know, I, I was an idiosyncratic, like conservative, like, I, you know, I hated, uh, you know, obviously, any kind of gay bashing, the, the racist stuff, I always thought that that wasn't a uh, 
conservative value. Um, and I also didn't really care about cutting taxes on the rich. Really, what I cared about was like fighting for working people. And again, you know, that's just something that happens when you have an undeveloped brain at 14 um, that you, know, you think that it's, a, you know, John McCain or whatever, um, you know, who's trying to, to do that instead of realizing that, oh, actually, both of these people are just full, you know, full of it and they're not looking out for us. Um, you know, and like, that's why my transition to becoming a socialist was, you know, pretty quick, uh, because I realized, okay, there's actually a political program out here, um, that is, uh, fighting for the people I want to fight for. And is like trying to fight for those, uh, those values too, of just like, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Like this whole world is built off of people's labor and the way that we force people to do it is disgusting, but it's incredible. The, the human potential that, that we have. And I always find that to be something, that we should tap into a little bit more too. It's like, it's an amazing thing to be able to build a building or do a, make a bridge or care for people, you know, healthcare workers, you know, educate people. I mean, those are amazing things. And those come from people's incredible um, humility and their, you know, and their work value, you know, their work ethics. And it's just like, for me, it just like, it was like a light bulb, you know, switching on once I was able to put two and two together that it's okay, there's actually a politics that is of working people fighting for working people um, out there instead of, you know, the, the, the pony shot we get from, uh, <laughs> from the Republicans and the Democrats on that. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned uh, John McCain and like something about the, the cult, you know, my, like I said, my dad's Republican his whole life. First time he ever voted uh, for a Democrat, his whole life was uh, 2008. He voted mm. for Obama and um you know, people, people think that's weird. And then he became at least like a kind of a Trump apologist in the past few years. And, um, you know, I, I remember talking to uh, a liberal person I know, like an upper middle class uh, liberal who was saying like, how does your dad square, you know, people like your dad, like my dad was an enlisted Marine, like mm -hmm. his, most of his career. And um, he, and they're like, how do they square you know, Trump making fun of John McCain with, and it's like, people who aren't you know I'm from a military family like people who don't know that like enlisted people don't generally like officers um mm -hmm. and like they and the enlisted people in the military thought that was funny as shit when he was making fun of john mccain because yeah. they see him as like a bunch of hoity-toity like fancy boys who like mm -hmm. give each other awards and stuff you know uh and um they and you know there's just like this lack of a kind of consciousness uh for something like that which is a little bit insulated i think but i just thought no, that's it was a great point for sure uh so yeah now you sent me a couple of specific songs to look at uh and uh, i i was not familiar with either of these actually well i'd heard the the merle haggard version of uh working man blues um and had never heard the jamie johnson version i've, I've heard a couple of really cool covers from these newer country guys who i still haven't delved much into but um, I, I think it was Chris Stapleton had this beautiful cover of uh, Tennessee Whiskey that I heard. Oh, man. Yeah, I've been really vibing to that lately. Oh, man. He's got an amazing <laughs> voice. Like, I'm so jealous of his uh, singing ability. But uh, and then I, I watched that. The only thing I could find was a YouTube of uh, him, of them doing like an eight minute version of Working Man Blues, just kind of jamming out uh, on that live. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's also got an amazing voice, but, uh, why did you want to bring up and talk about working man blues? I mean, obviously we've been talking about, you know, yeah. the, of the working man. So, I mean, you know, working man blues, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, it actually, it, I, I'm happy to talk about this song in this version. Cause that is a great version. I realized, uh, just before we got on that, I meant to send you another song called poor man's blues, which is, uh, <laughs> oh. um, but, but no, but this, the working man blues, uh, by Merle Haggard as the same kind of, uh, mentality, the same kind a point to make it because working man blues is just a great song right it's just about uh you know the kind of people 
you know, again, who like keep this, keep this whole system afloat and taking a bit of pride in that um, and having, you know, the ability to do it, uh, but also understanding that is hard as hell. And, you know, what's exciting to me about that Merle Haggard song and, you know, the Jamie Johnson uh, cover it as well, is just, just like you go to concerts when they're playing that and everybody in there just, it just gets imbued with this kind of class consciousness that you just actually like don't get as much from a lot of other media in my experience and it's just something that i think is just you know there's a deep well there that we can try to tap into um mm -hmm. you know and um you know the other song by jamie johnson's uh poor man gets the blues is a fun one just because it's just about him sitting at a bar and seeing some rich guy that he's planning on beating up uh <laughs> the guy is just looking at him as a tool um and not as like a human being which i think is a really beautiful uh, or interesting consciousness at least um, but, you know, I, I just think that, um, you know, what we get from that Merle Haggard song and a lot of Merle Haggard's music, too, is like a deep understanding of, of how people think about themselves in the society. Um, and I think, you know, people who want to do kind of political organizing should start trying to tap into that kind of uh, poetry a little bit more to sort of think about, I mean, hell, even what you're just saying about, uh, you know, your father. Um, you know, just trying to understand how a lot of people view their, their place in this system. Um, you know, and some things that, you know, you want to push back. I know in the Merle Haggard song, there's a whole thing about him not never going on welfare. Um, yeah. you know, which is not necessarily the, the vibes that, that we're going for, but, you know, uh, to me, that line, by the way, just has much more, um, to do with this person feeling proud about their ability to, despite everything that's being thrown on them, their ability to ba basically be able to take care of themselves. And, uh, you know, I don't think that, I, you know, the way I would push back against that is like, you don't need to do that in an oppositional way, right? You can be proud of your ability to, you know, to take care of yourself in a system that is very much designed to keep you down without, uh, you know, opposing your your other brothers and sisters, uh, getting a little bit of help when they when they need it. But, you know, I just don't find that, uh, that, that kind of sentiment, for example, to be like a non-starter because what that person is really just trying to express in my in my view of it is just like i'm proud of you know who i am despite you know not being a wealthy person not being the kind of person who is typically celebrated in this country um and you know i'm very proud of my ability to basically be able to you know to look after myself and my family and my community um and you know what i think the job of socialists too is to try to expand that that uh, mentality to also looking out for your other uh, brothers and sisters and, you know, working people too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, what you just said was kind of where, where I was thinking about it too, was like how, you know, that, that pride in uh, being able to take care of yourself. I mean, for a lot of people that does extend to, and, you know, a lot of people who their politics may be, um, seem to bespeak some kind of uh, selfishness but because they are like on the right in some ways you know interpersonally i mean even some people who like i grew up around who tell some like pretty bad like racist jokes and stuff like that but you know i um pe people liberals uh, you know people of a certain uh who don't interact with people from that they they don't mm -hmm. quite seem to like wrap their head around it's like yeah he's got some problematic ideas but interpersonally like i could tell you this guy has more would immediately relate to more and be like kinder to a like poor black person than a lot of like liberals i know who consider themselves very progressive i mean look i grew up i grew up very poor you know in south carolina and that was 100 percent the you know the kind of experience you know like uh you know a lot of things that people were saying to each other and by the way like just so the picture is painted 
uh, properly. It's like these were like, you know, poor white kids and poor black kids and poor, you know, uh, you know, Mexican immigrant families too, all hanging out and, you know, just bad shit. Uh, if you, you know, if, if I think about it now, um, but it was just like, it was a way that people were sort of interacting with each other. And I don't think it's perfect. I'm not trying to celebrate it or anything like that, but, uh, you know, at the same time, these are people living together, uh, not just like close in a lot of ways that people in gentrified neighborhoods live together, but I mean, like really living together, like hanging out on Saturday and spending time together and being a community. Um, I think that, you know, it's important to, to, uh, you know, to not, uh, um, to not overlook actually like that kind of just basic human solidarity, even though it might not like conform to the most like kind of liberal or like, you know, PC, PC norms. Again, not to celebrate it or to excuse it, but to just understand it's like, again, there's a well here, right? There's just like, there's opportunity here. It's not this kind of like black and white picture that a lot of people think that it is. Yeah. And it, it reminded me a little bit of um, uh, like, did you ever read Matt Taibbi wrote a book? I think it was just a collection of essays from, you know, him on the campaign trail and, and, 2015 2016 called insane clown president um which i got you know like right I, it was published like right around when trump uh, was inaugurated and uh, i was expecting it to be just sort of a funny you know matt type because great at mm -hmm. making fun of people uh, in his writing and uh, i thought it was just gonna be kind of a funny like um you know just making fun of donald trump mostly which i was very much in the mood for at the time and um he, but a lot of that book is him sort of talking about the Trump supporters and validating a lot of their concerns. And like, you know, I, I look at these people who are all chanting against the media and I'm, you know, like, like you were saying, like not necessarily justifying it, but just like, I'm kind of like looking at us here in the media on this side and realizing like, yeah, they don't have anything in common with us. And I can kind of see why they're pissed at us. We're not speaking to their concerns. And this asshole clown is and you know can we really blame them for at least some portion of them being gravitating toward that yeah i mean you know that's definitely you know definitely a factor i mean you know i think you know it's back and forth because it's just like i do think it's worth noting that the vast majority of, of trump uh voters um are, are are just rich people just like bar none. Sure, um, yeah. you know and they've done a good job at making it seem like it's not that's not the case um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people, it was a great opportunity to, you know, to punch back <laughs> at the people who, you know, who have been doing well in the system, uh, you know, while they have, and again, it's just like, it's the, it's a kind of, you know, a blind rage. And that doesn't mean that it's a, it's a good thing in our society, obviously. But if you aren't able to actually see uh, what's going on and to be able to realize it's like, well, this is the consequence of just decades and decades of like neoliberalism just completely hollowing out um, people's, you know, life expectancy, uh, you know, their wages, you know, their feeling that they're, you know, included in the society. It's like, is it surprising that a kind of demagogue like Trump is going to be able to tap into that anger and say, I'm going to burn it down and make fun of all these? I mean, I mean, so much of what Trump was for a lot of people, I feel like, is like he would just go on stage and he would just roast all the powers that, you know, that be. Um, and it's like, look, uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, we don't want to do Trump style politics, but like, if you can't see um, that, th that represented, uh, you know, just a real feeling of, of frustration and failure with the system as it is. And if you as a socialist can't see that um, as a kind of rupture and, you know, people rejecting the kind of, you know, the system as it is, 
even though Trump didn't do anything that he was, you know, acting like he was going to do office. I mean, like, honestly, it's been so funny now that we're looking back at the entirety of the Trump administration, like pretty much the only thing he was able to do other than just terrorize, you know, immigrant populations and, and you know, people of color, obviously, uh, was just get this massive tax cut through. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was actually like for all of the talks of him being this kind of authoritarian strongman, just ran a, a really um, incompetent administration. And the only thing he was able to do was the thing that the Republicans are just set up to do no matter what, which was to cut taxes across the board. But I, I just I have to note this because it's really important now that we're looking at what happened in this most recent election. The people who showed up for Joe Biden, the people um, you know, who basically Joe Biden's coalition will be. Um, there's like upper middle class, wealthy suburb, suburban voters. Um, you, you know, you didn't see this kind of groundswell for Joe Biden and this obvious why he wasn't standing up for people. And like what happened in Texas, for example, was a complete disaster um, for, you know, for Joe Biden and the Democrats, you know, across the board. I mean, uh, Trump was able to pick up, uh, you know, like Latino voters in South Texas, um, you know, and it's just like, that sounds wild to us, but it's just like, you know, uh, Joe Biden was refusing to campaign on helping people out to say, we're going to get you more stimulus. We're going to do like something proper on the COVID. Like, look, you can send me to his website all you want. Tell me what Joe Biden's message was. Joe Biden's message was, I'm not Trump. Um, and for a lot of people, they're really hurting right now. And they were like, okay, this guy sent me $1,200. Now, obviously, you know, there's a lot of, we can understand why that might be an incorrect political read. You know, people were seeing that and that was what their understanding of politics were. And again, it's just like, instead of thinking of people as lost saying like, okay, why were they doing this? Um, and actually, can we, like, we don't have to change ourselves uh, to appeal to them actually. Like Bernie Sanders was able to appeal to people, not because he placated, you know, kind of reactionary politics or views of the world, but because he said, hey, you're being screwed over by the millionaires and the billionaires in the society. Screw them, I want to fight for you. Uh, and, you know, that's why, uh, you know, the Democratic Party did so much to try to, you know, stamp out that message. Um, from him because that is something I think is going to be very viable down the line. The the bad thing about the moment we're in right now is that uh, you know the Republicans are set up to come back with a big groundswell in 2022 and probably you know do very well again in 2024. So this hope that you know they were going to be able to vanquish the specter of like Donald Trump far right Republican that's uh, that's uh, you know a fantasy and that's a bad thing I would say, but. Um, the one good thing is that that kind of suburban model that they're trying to push does not seem that it's going to be able to have the legs to be a kind of dominant political movement, which means that we have openings going forward. Yeah, no, and I, I think that uh, I understand why there's uh, this attitude on the left that like, oh, these, I think, you know, some truth to the idea, like oh, these Trump supporters, some of them do have seem to have kind of a cult of personality thing going on oh, yeah, and are very, for sure and <laughs> very difficult to um to to change that but i think that you know there's just a lot of people we're not hearing from who have this attitude and you know if you're not familiar with these communities but uh but yeah i think if you don't uh hear hear these people out you know the the, diver the diversity and the range of like attitudes of people who maybe support trump or kind of apologists for him you know it's it's easy to look past how they they do kind of see well trump is an asshole uh and i don't really like him but he, he's saying he's going to do things for me and I'm not even getting any of that. And, you know, none of the, uh, 
cultural like placating and not for problematic things but just like sort of you know from the left of just not paying attention to people mm. of a you know below a certain income level basically uh and unless you know their their needs are specifically have to do with like the identity politics that help get democrats votes basically mm. but uh, you know to, talking about uh trump as sort of a, a wrecking ball uh that i think a lot of people <laughs> like yeah uh, I think that dovetails nicely with the other song that you wanted me uh, to to give a listen to, and I yeah. was unfamiliar with this. One. I'm pretty familiar with most of Johnny Cash's catalog, but uh, this one had passed had slipped by me. Uh, an awesome song, Oni, which I'm definitely going to be spinning from now on. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell listeners a little bit about that song? I mean, Oni is a great story. It's a simple one. It's about a man who's been who spent his life working out, you know, in a shop floor in a factory. Um, and it's fine and it's his final day and you know everyone's getting ready you know to celebrate they get a gold watch after you know basically wasting away working for these you know these these people his whole life um but what Oni's excited for is a little bit less about retiring or the gold watch or anything like that but that the moment that the, the clock uh, strikes five that he's going to punch uh, his supervisor Oni in the face and it's a it's a great song it's hilarious and uh, it's perfect at the end of it. Uh, you know, it's just Johnny Cash just saying like, Oni, where are yeah. you, Oni? <laughs> you know, looking for him. And, you know, again, it's just like, uh, it's a great song. And it's something that I'm sure most people, uh, you know, have spent time working in pretty much any any field, but especially anything kind of, you know, physical <laughs> like that. Hell, you know, even restaurant work. Uh, we have all had that kind of moment where we're ready to, uh, you know, enact some uh, class on class violence. And I think that <laughs> um, it's just a great, you know, it's just a great example of that. And again, you know, one of those songs, I mean, there's a reason that you, you're you not familiar with it because it was one of those songs that wasn't really uh, centered in any of his albums or anything like that, because as much work as they did, they did so to deal with these uh, record companies. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's just, it's a great song. And another great reminder that Johnny Cash himself was just on another level, like, Man in Black, which is a song people I'm sure are familiar with, like that's a radical as hell song. Um, you know, even someone he gets accused of a lot, you know, he did play for Richard Nixon, a, a private show at the White House. Um, but the song he sang, he was supposed to, I can't remember what, I think he asked him to play like, you know, Ring of Fire with some of his like classic songs, but instead Johnny Cash like, no, I wrote one just for you. Um, and he wrote this song um, uh, called like, How Can You Blame the Youth? Uh, for asking what is truth. And it's just a song about, you know, like the people who are protesting and, you know, them, you know, sort of wondering why this country's at war, why people are, are struggling when there's so much wealth, all this kind of stuff. And like, that's the song that he played for, for Richard Nixon. I can't imagine, you know, a better song to play for somebody like that if you believe that art has any potential of like changing somebody's mind. And obviously with Nixon's case, it didn't, but, it, you know, it was an incredible moment. And Johnny Cash just really showed how to do great music and also to do music, I think, that has like really incredible political and like human uh, values as well such a good i mean I, I love a good story song and country music is just like just lousy with great story songs and uh johnny cash is so great at delivering those because he does have he has this uh little performer gene in him that uh gives him this you know he he's got a, a he's a great actor with just his yeah. voice and uh, that that moment that you you mentioned the only like he's <laughs> yeah. he just he, he sells that so beautifully 
Um, and uh, I was reminded of, of with Bill Maher, of all things, of all people, uh, <laughs> that Merle Haggard uh, did an interview. And this is kind of a side note, but uh, Merle Haggard did an interview with Bill Maher. This was back in 2008, back when I still like watched Bill Maher and mm. thought like, you know, uh, I, I, that would have been like late high school, early college for me. And, you know, still, if I told you 10 years from now, dude, you are going to fucking hate Bill Maher. Like I would have <laughs> been like, no, he's like the voice of the people. Um, but uh, he, uh, he was interviewing Merle Haggard. And I remember he said, <laughs> Merle Haggard just had the funniest line and he was campaigning for Hillary, I think at the time. So it was like 2008. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, and that's people don't, you know, that's always try to, you know, Merle Haggard, he's a Democrat. But uh, the, um, he, Bill Maher asked him, said something about like, you know, I, I was, um, the only song of yours I knew was that Okie from Muskogee song. <laughs> and, uh, I, um, and I just know that the first line is we don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. And I thought, well, I don't know where Muskogee is, but I certainly don't ever want to go there. And he's like, have you lightened up on that marijuana issue, Merle? And he goes, uh, I am very seldom in Muskogee. <laughs> no i mean that's and he's also like best friends with willie nelson uh mm. you know i don't know uh if, if you've seen me talk about this before but you know that's one of those songs that it's just like you gotta be careful of what you make um because you know that song is in my opinion is a hundred percent uh you know a kind of parody song i mean the the whole thing um is about you know this incredible town one you know you wouldn't call somebody from oklahoma and Okie. that's a, a slur for somebody who lives in california who's from oklahoma um, but I mean, people do now because he like popularized that term, but like people in Oklahoma never considered themselves to be that right. Okie was a term for people who fled in the dust bowl were basically dirt poor in California, you know, that whole song. So one, you know, he's doing that. And two, um, you know, he does all this stuff about how like we don't break the law and like, we don't smoke marijuana, all this kind of stuff. Like the only thing that we do is good, clean, legal fun, like drinking moonshine, white lightning. Uh -huh. right like <laughs> you know like the whole the whole song is just uh you know it's definitely kind of mixture of like a parody of that kind of guy out there who's like sitting there in the honky tonk and like another song redneck mother which a lot of people don't get because that's a song that you know is about kicking hippies asses and stuff but that was written by uh ray wiley hubbard who was a long-haired hippie right it was like one of these songs is just like sort of taking that character that we've all known uh, and sort of give him a little laugh at him. Anyways, uh, the the problem with the song "Okie from Muskogee" is everybody identified with it a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> and the the mess. And then of course you have this hit song. Like, what are you going to do? Tell everybody that they're wrong. Take it back for yourself. You know, it, he's he's interesting listening to him to talk about it because uh, he's always very sly like that. Mm -hmm. um, he never gives you a straight answer as to like what the true <laughs> meaning of "Okie from Muskogee" because he knows it's a little bit of a double edged sword for him. But yeah, yeah that's a funny one. Yeah. And like in interpreting art, you know, I think uh, people sometimes like if you parody a certain thing, people might kind of take a black and white view of it. And I think with something like Okie from Muskogee, it is something where there it's it's not straight up ironic. It's it's tongue in cheek, you know, like there's yeah. some some love there and also some kind of poking fun at oneself. And, you know, I think that um, a lot of uh it can be hard to, especially if you're just not familiar with that type of attitude to like really get into that mindset. Um, but uh, we've been going for like about an hour now and I'm mindful of your time. Uh, I just, I wanted to, uh, you know, there was some stuff I had here that we didn't quite get to, but you know, we can always like mm -hmm. uh, come back if you ever want to. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, talking about country music and politics yeah, and with you. Um, I, uh, I did want to bring up one since we're talking about Oni. Um, are you, and this was one that I, I sent you a handful of Tom T. Hall songs. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that I just have always loved is really pl- the first Tom T. Hall song I ever really uh, loved, like when I was a little kid, almost like a nursery rhyme level of which some of his songs are, but I still think they're great of like uh, uh, the man who hated freckles. Did you ever hear that one? <laughs> no, I haven't. That sounds That's- like such a Tom T. Hall song. <laughs> Yeah, he's got such a goofiness to him that I just like love so much. But um, he, you know, it was it's a song that's about it's about racism, very very mm-hmm. uh, transparently about like you know this man who hated freckles. The song ends with uh, the man who hated freckles may be sick, but as far as I'm concerned, he was a stupid son of a you know and does a little <laughs> ring out because Tom T. Hall doesn't curse. But uh, but you know the the song was basically about like a guy who is like prejudiced against people who have freckles, and mm-hmm. you know equating that to how stupid it is to be prejudiced against people for looking a certain way and uh the but you know there was one um song of his that came to mind when i was listening to oni have you ever heard the song uh turn it on turn it on turn it on by him no i haven't kind of a similar sort of thing it's about a, it's about a guy who um goes uh you know goes down to the company store so he's talking about one of these like old towns with the uh i guess talking about that thing where like you know you had to like use the company disney dollars or whatever to like buy anything at the the grocery mm. store um and uh, that's like a murder ballad like that's he goes like it you know a step up from uh in oni and like mm-hmm. goes just like buys bullets a box full of bullets and then just goes like murdering everybody who was making fun of him strangely enough for so you know he's a working man and um the song takes place in i guess the 40s or 50s and uh people said he was a coward because he wouldn't fight in their war is the mm. line and oh, you know yeah. talking about world war ii and it's like you know man wasn't much if he couldn't fight back in 1940 and four and uh you know coming from a conservative perspective i think people would be really surprised to hear that type of thing that's like not anti-war but you know really does like the way this you know subtle little word choice where he's kind of positioning it as like you know this sort of unfairness toward the working man back then absolutely man no i mean tom t hall is so rich i mean obviously the classics you know how i got to memphis you you ever heard the song uh, faster horses by him yeah that's one of my favorites because it's a song where he uh you know, he's talking to this old cowboy and you're sort of setting it up like you're about to get some really, um, you know, some really beautiful advice about life. You basically ask about what the secret to life is. And you think you're oh, I'm about to hear something so profound and beautiful. And the guy in his response, and he's like, the secret to living a good life is faster horses, younger women, and more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love that comment. <laughs> just a beautiful, you know, and I think, you know, that's like one of his nicknames, the storyteller, speaking mm-hmm. of great, like story songs. Um, did you have any on those? I think I sent you like four or five songs of his. Did you have any of those that like kind of stand out to you as good, uh, interesting political takes from him? Yeah, I mean, you know, America the Ugly is definitely a very harrowing song um, mm-hmm. about, <laughs> uh, you know, taking somebody through this country and, and sort of showing them the the failures of it. And it's I I like it a lot. Um, I think it's it's definitely it was a good choice and is is a great song. It, it's something that I think. He's an interesting song, too, because um, he's telling the story of America, but he's also doing it like playing like, you know, the, you know, quintessential American music, like a musical style that is also just so American. And mm-hmm. I like that kind of juxtaposition where, you know, he's telling the story about the problems in this country while doing it in the way that like, you know, the kind of like UK or French person would imagine an American would be singing about their country in the first place. Mm hmm. For sure. And, you know, bring up a lot of these issues that I think are things that, you know, you and I as like, you know, socialists or leftists would would think of as 
concerns of of the left primarily that you know if you look at i think it's kind of the thing that whenever you actually like talk to people and explain to them beyond like the very cartoonish view of like what socialism and leftism is that they got from rush limbaugh or whatever (laughs) which i've you know like they're, they're picturing like a you know everybody wearing like identical gray jumpsuits or something like that and it's like this is just this is you know a politics of, of working people and when you really explain to them what the goals are mm-hmm. and you know the the values that we we try to represent I think a lot of people go oh well you know I don't really that actually doesn't sound too bad yeah um and yeah I was actually I was my mom has gotten more political lately I was talking to her the other night and was just kind of explaining to her what you know uh my main concerns are and talking about like you know corporate money in in government and stuff like that that I feel like you know if we boil down issues to things that like you know she was like well you know I I agree with that we shouldn't have all this corporate money in government it's like so Mm -hmm. why are you supporting republicans then you know uh, I don't know I think (laughs) Education is 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 a, a big uh, key to getting more people over to our it's side. And be, I think, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think it's going to be a long fight. Um, I just, I also like just sometimes people misunderstand me when like the conversation we were having earlier about understanding why people you know do the Trump stuff. Um, the argument there is not that we need to turn our politics change like what we believe. It's literally just understanding that. You know, there's a way that we can sell this that people just aren't automatically inoculated against. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ryan Pollock, who's an organizer in in uh, Texas, a member of the IBEW, you know, big union there. He got the AFL-CIO in Texas to, uh, um, you know, support a motion to support uh, what they ended up calling, you know, federal environmental policy, but essentially it's a Green New Deal, like you know, word for word, except dropped like the slogans. And he was able to do that and was able even to win the support of, you know, people who were working in directly in or very close to like the fossil fuel industry. And he thought when he was going into those conversations that people were going to react so negatively. But instead, when you drop like the kind of language, say AOC, Green New Deal, all that kind of stuff, the people who had already been inoculated against it by like the right wing media, they were all about, you know, a just transition, making sure that they're paid because they know that this industry is one not going to take care of them and probably is not going to be around in the same way you know in the near future anyways he was able to do that by actually just like talking to people on a one-to-one level and i think that that's really what we're talking about like the opportunity is here is that a lot of that the kind of like resistance we get from working people against like left-wing politics you know the people who lean more towards the right of the republican party it's actually not that deep um Mm -hmm. and like and you know it's going to take work and strategy to break through it but i really think that we can as you were just saying yeah and um uh, i think that uh you know things like you know the green new deal uh a lot of there's a lot of very successful and effective propaganda you gotta remember marketing was invented in the united states basically <laughs> yeah. and um you know so we have a lot of you know difficult stuff to push through I mean, we could take a page out of the republicans book as in they just they're so good at branding mm-hmm. um and like you were saying you know if you just you know strip it down and like actually explain it to people for what it actually is and uh, you know kind of go in the opposite or the inverse of what republicans do and deceptive branding and just mm-hmm. do like a little bit more straightforward branding um you know as leftists we hate that word i guess but um you know, gotta, gotta hustle a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, the, and you know, Southern people are, you know, uh, 
uh, a lot of people who identify with Republicans love nature and simple living. And, you know, they, they don't want the environment destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, uh, and so if you, if we can kind of frame things more in that way, like I said earlier, you know, like that we've somehow been able to conflate the conservative identity with like anti-environmentalism and uh, it's, I don't think it's too far of a walk mm-hmm. to, to get to the other side of that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm telling you, there's just, there's tremendous opportunities that I think, you know, I think more and more people are, are, are starting to think a little bit more creatively about that, but you know, it's going to take a lot of work. And again, let's also, you know, not forget where we're coming from and you know, that there is this like really uh, successful movement right now, organizing working class people across the country already so again, it's not about changing the message or what our political beliefs are. It's just understanding that there is a well and there's a way that we can win in certain places. Um, you know, there's a song I think that Bernie Sanders should have walked out to every time a campaign in Texas or South or hell, Pittsburgh or everywhere. It's a song by Alabama. It's a little bit of a goofy song, but it's the most political campaign rally songs are. It's 40 hours a week, right? And it's just a song about thanking all the working people in this country uh, for <laughs> showing up or, you know, for their 40 hours a week because they're the people who keep this system going. And it's just like, I think that messaging actually could go a long way um, for us going forward too. like simple stuff like that too. Just like, look, we are the people, the party or the movement, not the Democratic Party, because screw them. Um, but we are the movement that, uh, you know, is trying to stand up for working people and is appreciative of them, right? I think we, I just like, it's so thin. The, the Republicans, like they, again, it's the same thing with country music. They don't deserve it. And there's no reason that they, they should have it in the first place. So I, I just think that it's something that, we shouldn't be afraid of like trying to challenge their dominance in certain areas. Yeah. And, you know, a line from the, uh, I think, you know, another kind of, when I talk to conservative types uh, about this sort of thing, uh, you know, uh, there's a line in working man blues uh, that, you know, something about, uh, you know, what something I've always said is like, you know, I've watched my dad like toil away. He's uh, 72 now, you know, and he's still working to like pay off his farm and stuff. And um, he, and, you know, I've watched him work harder than anybody else I've seen in my whole life. And, you know, some of the people I grew up around live in very, very, you know, not not great conditions uh, in, in our town and uh, still going to school full time. I, I grew up around these super hardworking people and they had and seeing how little they had to show for it. And can you mm-hmm. think of what's the line that I'm thinking of in Working Man Blue? Something about like, you know, having uh, putting, you know, that kind of Marxist <laughs> thought mm-hmm. is like putting in more work then you're getting out some, something like what's the line? Oh man. I wish, um, I wish I could remember it, but yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly that. It's like, you know, you're putting in more than you get, you're getting back at the end of the day. Right. And it's like, yeah, again, that's like organic consciousness, right? That's like, mm-hmm. you know, to use a kind of, you know, Marxist word or whatever, that's like organic consciousness. Like people, that doesn't mean that we don't need to do political education, by the way. That's something that I think some people misunderstand, but like, you don't have to do as much work. <laughs> Uh, explaining to people like, you know, theory of exploitation, if they've been living it their entire life, right? Because they have enough experience, uh, you know, seeing it around them. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think uh, one way that art is great for communication is that line, if I could think of the exact line, uh, is, um, you know, that it communicates just that basic idea of like, you're of, uh, you know, labor exploitation of like, you're putting in more work than you're getting out and that excess value is going to your employers who are not doing any real work mm-hmm. yeah, um, exactly. but uh so yeah like i said you know mindful of your time and uh, i think we've got a that kind of tied a nice bow on talking about yeah. art and communication and everything which 
Uh, I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Uh, can you tell listeners like where they can find you? And I know TMBS and give them an argument uh, on those. Are, do you have any other projects you're working on or anything like that? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do videos for Jackman uh, Magazine's YouTube channel. So definitely check those out. I do quick takes there. Uh, most mm-hmm. recent one is about uh, the uh, problems that the, the election results in Texas and how uh, the demographics is destiny thesis that the Democratic Party has been pushing for a while, which is shown to be flat out wrong and what we need to do next. So check that out. And, you know, I'm on Twitter, David Griscom. David Griscom on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, uh, TMBS is uh, Thursdays, right? Uh, Tuesdays. Tuesdays, yeah. Tuesday yeah. Uh, live stream. And uh, yeah, check that know. out. Uh, I, I don't know when this will go up, but uh, we're going to have a big announcement next uh next tuesday show okay awesome yeah and i was watching y'all's uh i should i shouldn't have said you know thursdays i was watching it last night so (laughs) my days mixed up but um the uh yeah i was watching y'all last night and uh, always always fantastic and you know a level of like fun but also like you know intellectual rigor like i said earlier that i really love about it and um the uh, and i forgot to mention that yeah completely those slipped my mind those jacobin videos i've been watching you and ben burgess you know those have been kind of coming up in my feed and i don't think i've seen that most recent one but uh there's a couple of those jacobin videos that i've been recommending to people i know ben had one about um nationalizing walmart yeah that's a good one <laughs> yeah, that one was fantastic and there was uh there were a couple of other ones that yeah i forgot to pull the titles of them but i saw like one or two of yours over the past uh uh, week and yeah they're great little like eight to ten minute video essays jacobin just always has been putting out great stuff on their youtube channel so it's been fun I'd definitely check those out and uh is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off here no man that's perfect i really uh, it was really fun hanging out yeah same here and uh yeah i'll let you know this will probably be up i usually release on like thursday nights friday mornings so cool. i've got like a part two of an interview going up uh tomorrow night and then so this this one will be uh, a week from then nice All right, man. Well, have a wonderful day. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you, too. See you around. My personal favorite honky tonk, badonk, donk, 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 Jordan Peterson, left reckoning, honky tonk, badonk, donk, left reckoning. It's a disaster. But that is an opportunity for us to meet them in outlaw music spirit, outlaw music spirit. But that is an opportunity for us to meet them in That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in to this week's amazing episode of Bridgie. Didn't you learn so much? Make sure you come back next week for Rachel Quirky Shank. Follow her on Twitter at I am Rachel Quirky to get stoked for that. Mr. Griscom, thank you so much for coming on, Mr. Griscom, and thank you all for listening to it. He is on Twitter at David Griscom. 
No Spaces, spelled David G-R-I-S-C-O-M. Check out his shows, TMBS, his quick takes on the Jacobin YouTube channel, his segment on Give Them an Argument about country music, and his newest project, Left Reckoning, which is just getting going, and you can find out more about that on his Twitter, or at their Twitter, at Left Reckoning. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Haas underscore Bossman. Support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Haas underscore Bossman. Visit my YouTube channel at bit.ly slash HaasTube where I have a few video essays. Newest one being, I think, what turned out to be a really good one about my octopus teacher. Leave me a message to be played on the show at bit.ly slash call Haas. Rate and review this show. Uh, just make sure as you waltz through this wicked world that you emanate pure healing light and shine that light in such a way as to permanently blind your brothers and sisters who are just co-passengers uh, on this life raft of light and darkness. Uh, yeah. May the quantum fabric of space-time bless you and hold you tight in its warm, stretchy embrace. And here's a song. I forgot to do come up with a song before I did this outro. So uh, I'll, uh, I mean, I'll I'll find one of my countryer sounding tracks that I've written in honor of David Griscom and play us out on that. I would play one of the great songs from the great artists we talked about in this interview, but you know, copyright stuff. Don't want to get popped. Uh, Murray Krimbus coming up. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. Why, why am I just rambling? I I already said goodbye, so uh, goodbye. Here's a song I wrote called. Maybe I'll go with. Uh, I'm going to do a song from our album, Tobacco and Firearms, which is available at thekmax.bandcamp.com. That's T-H-E-K-M-A-C-K-S dot bandcamp.com. Uh, we'll do the first opening track on the album. It was co-written between my buddy, my, my best bro, Max, and myself. Co-wrote this one. Um, and it is called, what's it called again? Darlin' Please Me. And I uh, hope you all enjoy it very, very much. And if you do, please consider going to thekmax.bandcamp.com and buying a copy of it. Uh, I think you can name your own price on that. And also, if you want to support me, patreon.com slash house underscore possum. Okay, sorry. Bye. I love you. Get your ass in here and play
What we need 